Let's take a moment to pray, and we'll uh, jump into part four. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity just to be in your house, to worship your name, to feel your presence, to encounter you. And right now, God, as we get into your word, we pray, Father, that you would bring it alive and that you would help us to understand the bigger concepts of what you want us to understand, the purpose that we have. And we truly believe, God, that what we're talking about is a matter of life and death. God, it's a matter of life and death for the people around us at work, at school, for the people in our very homes and families. It's a matter of life and death. And I pray, God, that today, Lord, we would all come to the place where we say, I, I understand and, I, and, and I, I receive, and that was for me. Lord, let us have moments where the Holy Spirit just, just touches us, Father. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen and amen. Well, um, as I kind of was saying in my prayer, isn't there so much to thank God for? I mean, there's a lot. When you look at everything, you look at the scope of your life, you look at the things around you, you look at God's provision, you look at his blessing, there's actually a lot to thank God for. And I think sometimes it's easy to miss the things that we're, we're not paying attention to. But if you put it into perspective of his grace and then his forgiveness, his love, and the way that you and I fit into his love, it's really amazing that we fit in God's love. There's, his arms are open and there's actually space for us. And we'll experience his grace, and he forgives us, and we made a mistake, and we blew it, and we did it again and again. And somehow there's room for us still there in that place. And then we gather as his body, and all of a sudden the worship team's going, or however it is, or there's an altar call, and there's time to respond, and we're feeling his presence. And it's this feeling that I'm not sure I've felt this before, or it's something that I, I, I really, really look for if I can feel the presence of, of God. Or then when we understand scripture and we get into it and then we begin to think about his promises, the promises of God and how real they are and how that's for me. And I claim that and I begin to build my life on the hope of Christ. And there's, and there's all this beauty, all these things to thank God for. Now with that in mind, with everything that I just said, we know that the church must come alive. The church must come alive and take very seriously our call. What we're going to talk about today, most churches do not talk about. They talk about the benefits and the blessings and the character issues that you got to work out. And, and that's good and that's important. And there's a space for that and a place for absolutely. However, we cannot overlook or lose sight of what God has called us to do. What is the mission? Why? Why? Is it always so that we come and get and receive and we feel great and awesome? And all? Those things are wonderful. Those things are, are, are great. But what does he ask of us? And what are we supposed to be doing with that? If I were to come up to you and say, or, or imagine this. Imagine, you know, I was your boss, and I came up to you on day one, and I said, you know what? I'm going to give you your first assignment. Here, here's your assignment. In fact, right now, you're going to be passed out some assignments. But imagine if, if, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, okay, here you go. This is what I'd like for you to do. This is what I would like for you to be responsible for. Right? Has that ever happened to you within your job? You got a job, you go to school, you go to school, you got a syllabus, and say, hey, this is what you got to do. Right? 
And, and in the same way, I want you to now reimagine what I'm saying to you, and I want you to imagine that you are sitting down with God, and maybe you're, you're, you're having a cup of coffee, and you're talking, and he says, okay, my child. Hey. And he says, hey, here's your responsibility. Did you guys pass those out yet? Oh, yeah, go pass those out. Yeah. And he says, here is your responsibility. Because what we are talking about is a matter of life and death. I'll give you a moment there. Okay. All right. So everybody sees what it says there. Imagine you're sitting down with God and this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, this is yours. This is yours. And what, I'm, what I give you today is I, I'm giving you something that is truly a matter of life and death. This, this, is, this is a matter of life and death. And as you walk away with your assignments and you evaluate what's going on in culture and society, it becomes very apparent how important the assignment is. As you, as you look everywhere outside of these walls, it becomes very important, this assignment. You begin to see the Father's heart and why this is such a big deal. You know, I want to show you a couple of images here from the Grammys this last Sunday. Some of you heard, some of you seen on social media, but I want you to see a couple of things. You know, you call it devil worship. It's, it's just, it's so easy, it's so accessible, it's so available, it's so out in your face. This, this, is, this, this is it, the church of Satan, they ain't playing. Oh, if they can get front center stage, they will. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, it's just for fun, it's no big deal. No, 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 no. It's a big deal. Somebody's getting a little bit more bolder. What about us? We are at war, Christians. We're at war. And we, we don't go to war with our fists. The Bible reminds us in Ephesians that we're not fighting flesh and blood, but principalities of darkness. But we are at war, and the enemy's like, hey, guess what? What are you going to do? And what the Lord's placed on our heart you heard my wife say this last Sunday, is that as the church comes alive, we would, we would then in turn rob hell. You have the assignments. We have the assignments. We got to own the assignment. We got to take the assignments. It's a matter of life and death. We can't play Christian. We can't play Christ followers. We are his church, and he left us with a purpose. 
Let's read it together here in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Let's read it together. It says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the assignment. The gospel needs to be preached. Now, they might ignore it. They might refuse it. They might say, I don't want to have nothing to do with that. And that's on them. That's on them. They are judged based on what they decide to do with the gospel message. But we are judged on whether we shared it or not. We have the assignment. One day, we'll be standing in front of God, and he'll be like, uh, did you tell anyone? He might say, but God, they didn't want to hear it. And he says, I understand, but did you tell anyone? Because we need to be bold about our faith. The world stands condemned all around us, and what are we doing about that? According to Pew Research, 36% of adults attend church once a week. The problem with that is that that 36% includes all religions. All of them. That 30%, 36% is not just not, not Christianity now. Christianity plays a, a, a large role in that number, but it, that 36% is all religions. You know, you, you, you might be in your neighborhood, in your family, or the people around you, and it might, maybe it's a one in five. Maybe it's a one in, a one in ten. But as we look at these numbers and we look at these statistics, what does it tell us? It tells us a lot about the spiritual, the spiritual life, the spiritual temperature of those around us. Their conviction to honor God. Because there's a lot that just attempt to live Christian by association. You know, I got a cousin who sings on a worship team, or I got a cousin who... It's a greeter at this church. I got a cousin, you know. And it, just by association. And I think that the problem is many people don't know what God desires of them. And, 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 I, and I say that because they haven't heard the gospel. They, they, don't, they, they don't have a reason or a knowledge to be convicted. Like, you know, when, when you begin to understand, like, why you need Jesus... Then you're like, okay, at least I have something to think about. But if you don't know why, then there's no even reason. Why should I even think about Jesus? Why should I ever turn my life to him if I don't even know why I should? Like, what for? I mean, somebody give me a good reason. The problem is no one's giving them a good reason. And so today, I want to take some time, and I want to dive into the Ten Commandments and as we look at these Ten Commandments, I want you to understand, like, these are God's, like, this is his moral law. And it's very important that we understand this when it comes to this, because a lot of times people say, well, well God did away with that, and that's just not true. Jesus says that he, he, he did not come to abolish the law, very important, Jesus' words, but I came to fulfill it. And I'm going to explain a little bit more of that here on the back end, Jesus' words there. 
But I want to take a moment, and we're going to dive in here to Exodus chapter 20, verses 17. And let me give you a little bit of a backdrop. God has saved his people from slavery out of Egypt, and he's done some amazing miracles. And he's trying to get them organized and get them to understand the things that he desires of them. And then he, he, he sends Mo Moses goes up to the mountain to meet him, and he comes back with these commandments. And it says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Verse 6, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you will live long in the land that your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Here's this list that God gives the people and says, listen, these are the top ten things that, 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 listen, I really, I, I, need you to, I need you to work this out, this covenant. You're going to have my blessing. Now, here's the details of this covenant. God is going to be with them. God is going to provide for them. God is going to protect them. God is going to give them victory. God is going to give them his favor. And he asks them these ten things. Now, there's two things I want you to know about this list as we get into this. It's impossible to keep it on your own, and that's why we need Jesus. Secondly, it's important that we don't misinterpret the grace of God in Scripture because sometimes that could be the case. Well, you know what? Uh, I can't do this, so you know God's going to forgive me, so I'm just going to continue on with that. But again, I mentioned Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. His shedding of his blood on the cross pays for all of our sin for all time. But that doesn't mean that we just go on sinning. We grow and we mature in our faith. And so we learned that these Ten Commandments are holy. I want to just give you a little bit of a picture here. Can we put up this picture? Kind of organize the verses that we just read. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You'll make no idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and your mother. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. Not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you're not going to covet. We're going to take some time now and break this down. I, at, one point, at one time, I, I know we did a whole series on this, but I'm going to give you all 10 today and, and break this down a little bit further. But in James chapter 2, verse 10, and this James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the son of Mary and Joseph. And in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, For whoever keeps the whole law 
and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I just want you to see why we need Jesus. But we also have to communicate why they need Jesus. Why need him? Why do I ever turn my life around? Why should I just turn from being an atheist? Why should I, why should I just, I mean, I don't know what I believe. I just, why give people a reason why? So 10 reasons why, why the gospel, why we need Jesus. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? No deity, real or imagined, is to rival the one true God in our heart or in our life. Because Yahweh demands this exclusive covenant loyalty. He is the one true God of heaven and earth. He created everything. In other words, that we would be, uh, have a monotheism perspective on life. That we would worship the one true God. You know, the Holy Spirit powerfully comes over Isaiah the prophet, and these words were spoken in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. It says this, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God, he tells the people. Our Heavenly Father reminds us, and he, remind, he reminds us today, is there anything in your life that takes priority over God? Is there, is, there, is there anything? Having money? The fact that you have money. Is that you're always thinking about your money and the money in the account and all that. Or, or the desire to make money. I got to make money. I got to make money. Does that take, does that take uh, precedence over God? Priority over God? Or people? Is there, is there somebody in your life that is that person just, is, just takes over priority over God? Or, or a lifestyle? Or the way that you're living your lifestyle, you're like, oh, this ain't right, but I keep, you know, but it, or, or a hobby, or a sport. See, these things become things that we worship, we give our first allegiance to, we put above God. And so I want you to ask people, would you say making money is more of a priority than God? Just give them something to think about. Ask people, would you say that the way that you're living your life right now is more important than God? Put it in that perspective. This is the first thing that he asks us. The second thing that he asks us is that you shall make no idols. Now, the thing about this is that the thing about God is that God never presents himself in any type of image. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't see that in, in, in any type of way. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12, he says this, uh, or it says this, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. See, the only image we ever see of God is we see his son Jesus. Right? When Jesus is going to be baptized by John the Baptist, it, it shows that the Holy Spirit is coming down on him like a dove. But other than that, you, we don't see any other images of God. And he doesn't want any images. He, 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 does, he doesn't want that. That's the reason why we don't have any images of God. The only thing that we have is we have a cross to represent what he did for us so that we would remember and reflect, but we don't, we don't have any pieces, any things. You don't see Jesus on there anywhere. And I know you step into the Catholic Church and right away you're going to see Jesus on the cross. He doesn't want us to have any images. 
And also another reason why we don't have him on the cross is we, it's, it's a reminder that he's not there anymore. God doesn't want us to have any image or anything in our home that we think of as, well, it's good luck or it's some sort of deity or, or it's something that we give credit to. We, we, we touch it, we rub it before we leave the house or something like that. He, he doesn't want that in our homes. That's the second thing that he asks us. The third thing that he asks us is that you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Or in the, in the way that the NIV translates it, you shall not misuse God's name. Because you might hear somebody swearing by God's name. You might hear, you might hear somebody say, uh, you know, they'll say like, on God, you know, about whatever they're trying to do. Or God, and then bleep, 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 you know. Or, or using God's name for some magic or, or using it in any other type of way that's disrespectful. He does not want us to do that. Leviticus 19, verse 12, it says this, Do not swear falsely by my name. And so profane the name of your God. He says, I am the Lord. He takes this very seriously. It is a sin to misuse God's name. Misusing God's name breaks one of the commandments that's part of his covenant with his people. This is the third thing that he asks. The fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, what's the Sabbath day? This is a reference to the seventh day of the week. See, God had began to organize society and put things together. And he did it based on how he created creation and all that we know. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And God, in that same way to model after what he had done, asks us to have a Sabbath. And on that Sabbath, we do not work. We, 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 we just rest. Well, why does God want us to rest he rested and he models that. He also knows what we need. He also knows what it's going to mean to be healthy. But he asked this. And he, he asks us to honor him in this. To have a rest, to, to not do it. And I know it. We're workaholics. On the day we're supposed to rest, we find work. And I am majorly guilty of this. I struggle to not work on vacations and days off. I remember when my wife and I, we, we got married and we went on our honeymoon. I took work with me. I am the worst. I am the worst. Literally, I had a separate luggage with my books and things that I needed to do, my computer and stuff to, to do work on our honeymoon. I am, I, I am confessing to you. I am, I am horrible at this. I, I am... Not taking a Sabbath is, is a sin. This breaks God's law. This is the fourth thing he asked. The fifth commandment is to honor your father and your mother. Now, we don't talk about the importance of this enough. Usually about once a year on Mother's Day or Father's Day, we'll talk about this. But this is really a big deal. 
You see, God created the family system. You know, that a man would marry a woman and the woman would conceive and grow a child in her womb and the child would have a mother and a father. This is God's order. This is his order of things. And he asks us to honor our father and our mother. He never says if they deserve it. He never says if they've been a good parent, then honor them. He asks us to honor them anyway. This, 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 is, this is his order of things. This is what he desires of us. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This commandment is a big deal, and so God actually ties this commandment to something that he wants to bless you with. But he says, this blessing is yours, but you got to honor your mother and your father. Not if they're great to you. He says, honor them. And I have this blessing for you. Now, the thing about this blessing, verse 12, it says this. Here's the blessing. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. See, long life is tied to honoring parents by God's divine say-so. Could you imagine that? Out of all the commandments, out of all the things, you're going to live a long life based on how you treat who's mom and dad. Treat them as God asks, never as we think they deserve. This is the fifth thing God asks. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Now, the Hebrew for this verb, ratzak, I've been trying to go over the Hebrew of this, and I've been blowing the pronunciation on this. But this, this Hebrew, for, for this verb here, it usually refers to something that's premeditated, a deliberate act, and this is not necessarily directed to anything like capital punishment or war or self-defense. The, the word is different in those cases in the Bible. This word is ratzak. I'm, butch I'm butchering the pronunciation. But this is, I'm going to make a plan to kill someone, murder. Whatever the justification is, it's still murder. I'm going to go and take someone's life, intentionally or unintentionally. I know who the person is, or I'm just going to take someone's life. Whatever that is, that is, that is murder. In Leviticus 19.18, it says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Right at the end of that verse, we see the opposite. Instead of looking to kill, he says, look to love. And he uses this to talk about this. And Jesus emphasizes this, that, hey, here's, here's the one command that sums up all the rest. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as, as yourself. Jesus knows the hatred we feel towards others. And he knows that that hatred will lead towards harming others. This is the sixth thing he asks. The seventh commandment that he asks is you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is cheating on your spouse. Joseph, the son of Jacob in Genesis, he calls adultery. He also references as not just cheating on your spouse, but also cheating on God. This last season, I've been teaching men how to pray for their home. And one of the things that I've been teaching them in how to pray for their home 
is how to pray for their marriage bed. Because that is so, so important that we understand that we ask God's blessing and protection. And I've given them some very specific prayers and how to anoint and what to do in praying for your marriage bed. No one should ever come between your marriage. A marriage is between a man and a woman. No one should come in the middle of that relationship. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says this, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. See, Jesus goes on to say that even if we lust about another person and we, we think it and we imagine, we don't do it, but we, we see it, we think it, we imagine it, it'll be like this or whatever, that's also adultery. That's also a sin. You, ha- you have the mental thoughts or pornography. How, that's also adultery. God wants us to be faithful to our marriage covenants. This is the seventh thing. The eighth commandment is you shall not steal. Another covenant that has to do with our relationship with others. He says, if you could just love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself, this is how you, this is how you overcome these areas. He says, you shall not steal. He does not want us to take what does not belong to us. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2, it says this, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. I mean, this, could, this, this, this stealing could be, this could be stealing a candy bar, something else in a store, something from someone's house, from someone's work, or calling it your own. Oh, they did that. They did that assignment. No, but I, I put my name on it. Or, or cheating on your taxes. That's also stealing. God does not want us to find a way to try and bless ourselves and do things wrong, but to trust him and let him be our provider. And stealing also robs from somebody else's blessing. Somebody's on this journey, and they're praying, and God answers their prayer, and God provides for them, and here comes sin. He doesn't want us to steal. That's the eighth thing. The ninth commandment is that you should not bear false witness against your neighbor. This refers about refers to lying about someone. God absolutely hates this. He hates this. You know, say that you're in the courtroom and you make up a story about someone that's not true. Right, that's that you're, you're bearing a false witness. God hates this. This is a big deal that we would lie about someone. You know, that we, we would make up some story that's not true. Somehow it benefits us, or maybe it don't benefit us, but it benefits somebody we care about. And so we, we decide to step in and make up something that's not true. Whatever the situation is, God hates this. God is a God of righteousness, and he does not want his people lying about others for whatever the selfish gain is. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, he says this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked, uh, devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up 
conflict in the community. These are six things he hates, seven that are detestable to him. God does not want us lying about anyone. Maybe it's not in the courtroom, but maybe it's in the job. Maybe it's a situation that happened. Maybe it's a family member thing or anything. This is the ninth thing. The tenth commandment is this. You shall not covet. Now, what's covet? Covet is, it's interesting. Because coveting is the desiring to have what your neighbor has. This is what will lead to stealing. This is what will lead to cheating in your marriage. This is, this is what will lead to murdering. This is what leads to adultery, to bearing false witness. It's this desire to covet. I see what my neighbor has, and it's not that I have a desire to work hard and go earn it myself, but I want what they got. And so I, I, I covet. Oh, man, I want, if there's a moment they ain't looking, you know, that's what's going to lead me. This sin, it'll burn. It'll burn inside, and then you'll try to find a way to devise a plan to get what they got. And this, this also leads to idolatry because you're desiring something that don't belong to you and, you're, and you're, you're putting it above everything else. You're about to make decisions that are going to ruin everything around you. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5, it says this, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See, God can see in the depth of our hearts and does not want us to covet. These are the Ten Commandments, also called God's moral law. Now, the average person around you doesn't know the Ten Commandments. There might be somebody who says, oh, yeah, I think I went to Sunday school once, and they, I, I, you know, I think I, I, think I know with them. But, but they, they, they don't know what they mean, and yet, they're a big deal to the creator of the universe. And most people don't know that they're breaking these commandments. Most people don't even realize why they would need Jesus. Because if you sat down and you asked them, you said, hey, you know, so uh, do you think you're a good person? They'd be like, well, why are you asking me that? But if you asked them and you said, do you, so do you think they're a good person? They would tell you, yes. Yeah, I'm a good person. But that answer could never be based on what we just talked about. That yes is based on their own standards. And no one is getting into heaven based on their own standards. No one. Absolutely no one. People need to see why they need Jesus. And we need to understand why the gospel is the answer. It can't just be about us. Well, I got Jesus in my life. And God's going to say, did you tell anyone? Well, they didn't want to hear me. I know, I understand. But did you tell anyone? Because what we have is so, so precious. And Pastor Justin, can you help me? I'm sorry, I forgot to give you a cue. Listen, the other thing that I want to tell us is this as we get ready to close here. God doesn't need anyone to go around and defend him. But this is our opportunity to share with people what sin is. The only way to deal with this sin is through Jesus. They can say, well, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll stop doing that stuff. 
if that's a if that's a big deal, I mean, I can just stop coveting. Yeah, okay. I, I can, you know, I, I, I'm not murdering anyone. I can stop my language and stop saying God's name in vain. They, they can say that. Follow me here. They, they can say, well, you know what? I can stop stealing. I mean, if that's a big deal, I can stop that. It will be hard, but I can do it. I can do it. They'll say this. But the problem with just leaving that there is that everything they have ever done is still attributed to them. Do you understand? Just because you stopped, what about everything you've done your whole life? It's still there. It's still on your record. It's still there. It's still attributed to you. You know, you know my wife and I, we have three kids. And it's amazing that you, you begin to truly see as the Bible describes that in this flesh we have a sin nature. We have a sin nature. We don't even have to try and sin. We, we'll sin, right? It, it's, it's, it, we don't even have to try. I, I'll, I'll look at my kids and you watch them as they grow up. All of a sudden, I mean, they'll, they'll lie about something. And I'm like, why are you lying? And you can just see it. Just, you just see it. it's right there from little. Where, where did you do with the cup? I don't know. Right behind it trying to hide it under the pillow. They're lying. They know where the cup is. It's right there. They're hiding it. That's a lie. They're sinning. So we have this sin nature, and it's with us. So somebody can look at these Ten Commandments, and they say, okay, well, there's all those things, so i got to stop doing those things, so I'm going to try to stop doing those things. But what about this all? The only way to ever deal with that it's through Jesus. Again, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the truth, the life, and the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to have that record wiped clean is through Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop saying the Lord's name in vain. That's great, but what about all the times you've done it? That's still on your record. You know, I grew up around the trucking business. My dad was a truck driver all of his life, and of his, his career, he's, he's now retired. And one of the things that's so important in that business is having a clean driving record, right? It, it messes with your money if you don't got a clean driving record. And in this same way, if your record isn't clean, you're gonna come before the Lord. The Lord's like, listen, you got all this sin? You, you refuse Jesus. People simply need to understand why they need him. We have Jesus. And he's given us a mission. He's given us a purpose. I want to illustrate it with this way. I got a couple of people that are going to come up and just uh, can can you come and I, I just I want you to I want you to see this here as we close. This is us with the people around us. You're that one saved person. And, and we're just hanging out with people and they're all, they're all condemned. They all got sin that's never been dealt with. It's never been dealt with. It has not been dealt with. They are not following the Lord. They are not walking his ways. Oh yeah, hey, how's it going? Okay, who you got for the Super Bowl? Great, okay, all this. Or you're just going about life, life. You see them all the time. But I want you to see right now 
that you are this one person and you're around your coworkers, you're around your classmates, you're around your family members, you're around them. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to heaven. I know it. I, I, I love the Lord. I follow the Lord. I, I've at, he's my Lord and my Savior. I'm growing in my faith. And this is you. And here's everybody else around you. And this is the reality. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible teaches us. So what are we going to do about it? I want you to understand this is a matter of life and death. Jesus is going to ask you. Our Heavenly Father is going to ask you. So did you say anything? Well, uh, they didn't want to hear me. I know, but did you say anything? It's a matter of life and death. Can we give them a round of applause? You know, today, if you watch the Super Bowl, don't watch the Super Bowl. You're into that. A lot of times people watch the Super Bowl just for the commercials, right? Sometimes. Your team's not in it. Ah, I just want to see the commercials. Today, there's going to be a couple of commercials that are going to be great conversation starters. But today, there's going to be some commercials that are going to point to Jesus. There's going to be two of them, in fact. And these two commercials are intended to give you an opportunity to have a conversation with those who don't know Christ. It's, it's, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of a conversation. But they need to know why they need Jesus. The commercials are not going to get into that. They're more trying to relate, trying to, have, ha, trying to have, help people understand why Jesus is still relatable to today, but it's a great way. You're going to see two commercials today if you watch the Super Bowl. Take advantage of that opportunity. But we got a whole lot of more work to do. Like I opened up, we're at war. And it's not, we're going to go and we're going to go and we, we need signs to go and pick it or do, do this. We're, we're fighting a, a different war. And the way to fight this war is with the purpose that he gave us. Here's my challenge for us. We're going to take communion right now. My challenge is this. Begin to pray and ask God for boldness and the right words to share the gospel with others. Begin to pray and ask God for boldness and the right words to share the gospel with others. So you can do this. I'm going to take a moment to pray. You know, can you bring the trays up just right here? Stand up here in the front, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for all of us, and then we're going to take communion together. Now, communion is a moment to remember and reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, the Father, has sent the Son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. Our sin, our curse, literally lifts off of us and our curse went on Jesus. All of our sin, literally, Jesus carried it and finished it. In the book of John, chapter 20, when Jesus says it is finished, that means your sin was finished. But that is only you. If you do Romans 10 and 9, 10, 9, and 10, confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. You make your own personal decision, not a decision based on association, but your decision to say, 
I want Jesus in my life. I recognize why I need him. There's no way that I can ever be right without him. And I want him for myself. I want him for me. I want to be saved. I want to, one day I'll take my last breath. I want to be in heaven. I want God's love. I want his forgiveness. I want his mercy and his grace. You want that. And so today we take communion in that order and in that manner. And so if there's anybody here today and you say, you know what? The truth is, I haven't been following Christ. and I need to get right with God. I need his forgiveness. I want to make a decision to be a Christ follower. That's a beautiful thing. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this time to be in your house. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence, God. And we thank you for this moment and this opportunity to remember and reflect on what, Father, you sent your son Jesus to do on the cross, to be our substitutes, to receive what what should have happened to us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We confess with our mouth today and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And together we say, thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus. I receive him today into my life. I believe that he took my place on the cross. I believe he is the Lord of all. And today I ask him to forgive all my sins since my very first one. Forgive me for them all. And Father, I pray that your blood would cover us all. It would cleanse us and purify us. And may we live in purpose, Father. We thank you. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.